it turns out that giving the community license for creativity and allowing them to remix it and come up with their own meaning for things is actually really interesting because it empowers people within the community, empowers people at the edges to say, okay, hey, nobody is telling me what this means. Nobody's telling me what the rules are. And so now I can go and create them. Hey everyone, I'm Lee Jen here along with Nathan Vachez and this is Means of Creation, a show where we deep dive into the passion economy and the future of work. This show is brought to you by Every, a writer's collective focused on business. And this week we're really excited to be joined by Patrick Rivera. Patrick is a product engineer at Mirror, which is a crypto native creative suite with crowdfunding and various publishing tools for creators. It's backed by some prominent investors such as A16Z, USV, Variant Fund, and myself. Before Mirror, Patrick was an engineer at Dharma, which is an Ethereum wallet that also doubles as an easy fiat on-ramp into crypto. At Mirror, Patrick's role involves working closely with creators to design and ship new features, as well as launching new crowdfunding campaigns. And in the past few months, Mirror has been up to some really cool stuff, um, building out functionality, including NFT auctions, tokenized crowdfunds, royalty splits, as well as um, a tokenized referral game to onboard new writers onto the platform called The Right Race. So we're really excited to have Patrick here today. Patrick, thanks so much for joining us. Anytime. I'm very excited for this. Awesome. Well, the last couple of weeks have been a pretty crazy time in the crypto verse, um, full of lots of really interesting developments. How are you feeling right now? And what's it been like to be working in crypto? Yes, I've been in crypto for about a year and a half. And last summer was DeFi summer. And a lot of people thought that nothing would top that in terms of Basically what happened was did a lot of things around token airdrops and rewarding early users of the different products. And people were going from product to product, trying to use them so they could be part of these airdrops. And after that happened, that basically sparked a wave in DeFi usage and a pretty big bull run for the next six months from last summer up until like January, February, and had some peaks and troughs since then. And so a lot of people talked about, okay, what's going to happen this summer? Is it going to be L2, which is basically scaling solutions? for different crypto protocols? Is it gonna be NFTs, something else? And I think in the last week and a half specifically, and we can talk about what's been going on, but this really does feel like it's like a sci-fi video game. There's this distributed network of computers. You write some code, a smart contract, you deploy it to this network. It's running on all these separate computers. There's not really much you can do to change the code once it's deployed. Anybody can inspect it, can see it, how it's running, what are the inputs, what are the outputs. When you do something, when you write to this like global database known as a blockchain, anybody can see it, you can track it. It just feels like this like sci-fi world and being able to, not only on the technical computer science side, but also in designing economies, launching tokens, thinking about how do you incentivize people to yeah, do a certain behavior or be part of a certain community or and create some sort of like pro-social benefits within your protocol or within your economy or within your community. These are all like really interesting ideas. And yeah, the, the, my favorite part is just the cross-disciplinary nature from the computer science to the economics to the consumer product to growth, governance, et cetera. And so, yeah, it's been pretty wild recently. Yeah, I love that description of it as like a video game. Um, 
Definitely, I've felt that way as well, where I, I can't believe some of the things that are happening around me and that are happening so quickly. Um, one of the topics that I wanted to touch base with you about and discuss in this conversation was loot. Um, loot has kind of taken over my entire Twitter feed. Um, everyone seems to be building something on top of it or watching it really closely. And when I was thinking about this, I was just reflecting how much the playbook of launching a product to the world has changed and how much being an investor and consumer has changed um, because Loot has really flipped a lot of what we thought we knew about launching consumer products or building network effects completely on its head. Um, but maybe just to back up a, a minute for all of the listeners who perhaps haven't encountered it, Loot is this really buzzy new NFT project that just launched, I think, two weeks ago, um, not even two weeks ago, um, from Dom Hoffman, who was one of the co-founders of Vine. And um, Loot NFTs is basically a series of, I think, 8,000 um, unique NFTs, which are comprised of just simple lists of fictional fantas fantasy sounding adventure gear. Um, and each is a list of unique gear. Um, there's no art, there's, there's no attributes, there's no rarity stats. It's really just a list of items. And since the launch of Loot, they've just gone wild. Um, some of them, I think they're trading at above 9 ETH right now for their floor prices. And people are building games, stories, experiences, DAOs on top of it, um, com completely um, bottoms up based from the community itself without a central team um, or CEO. It's been really wild to watch for the past 10 days or so. Um, I would love to hear, Patrick, like your thoughts on why it's taken off like this, what consumer founders and teams building for consumers can learn from this experience because it feels so different from the old days of making sure that a product worked really well and would likely have product market fit when it launched. Yeah, loot is one of the most counterintuitive things that I've seen. And I remembered the day it launched, I saw on Twitter, Dom had a tweet and said, and 8,000 items, you can, yeah, it's just going to be the black background text, mint on Etherscan, no price other than paying gas. And I, I saw it, I was like, eh, this looks interesting. And then I knew that it was probably two hours after he posted it. And so I was like, okay, I need to go to eat the scan and like pick a bunch of random numbers and try and find one that no one picked. And I was like, I was trying to ship a feature. It was a Friday. And I was like, eh, maybe I'll do it later. I'll do it like in an hour once I'm finished with this. And I just got stuck on that and ended up not going back. And people were like, oh, this is so cool. This is amazing. And he had, Dom had already built a community with Blitmaps, which is another project where it was like generative art. And it was really interesting. And yeah, so you had already a really strong community there. And so a lot of those people were talking about the project and then ended up looking on OpenSea afterwards and floor price was like 0.2 ETH. It was, all right, maybe I'll pick some up at some point. And then over the next three days, it seemed like every few hours on Twitter, there was somebody posting something around just building tooling for the ecosystem. And so the loot itself was very unopinionated. Many sites they have, or many NFT drops, they have a really fancy website. They have tools for understanding, okay, what are the rarity stats? How can you use this? What is the utility? And it's very top-down and top-down process in terms of, okay, this is the value. This is how this game should work. And here, and then everyone 
can play by these rules, but these are the rules. Whereas loot was more so, here are the pieces, and I like to view it kind of like chess pieces. It's kind of like, here, I'm going to give you these pawns, I'm going to give you these rooks, I'm going to give you these kings, queens, etc. And then you you come up with the games. And not only just the game, you can create, you can write code to make it into an app. You can create auctions around it. You can create your own like fantasy world and create your own storylines and write con- and create content around it. And that's what we saw people doing. They're like, hey, it turns out that giving the community license for creativity and allowing them to remix it and come up with their own meaning for things is actually really interesting because it empowers people within the community, empowers people at the edges to say, okay, hey, nobody is telling me what this means. Nobody's telling me what the rules are. And so now I can go and create them. And so even like four days afterwards, I was still like, this is cool. This is interesting. But then I tweeted about another project called NounsDAO. And I was like, NounsDAO is the most interesting project in crypto, hands down. And then immediately, like six people were like, loot, 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 check out loot. And so at that point, I was like, all right, this this has to be a sign. And so eventually, yeah, I ended up getting two at that point. And then just in the next 48 hours, just started going. Yeah, people just became more and more excited. And just I've never seen something like that in terms of the number of tools being built. And going back to earlier around feeling like a video game, a lot of people talk about the composability of crypto and how it feels like Lego blocks. And so kind of the nature of the fact that A, it's open source, and B, it's running on this distributed network of computers, that's basically what it means by being Legos in the sense that, okay, nobody can change it. You know, you can have trust that this other Lego piece is going to work. You think it the way you think it's going to work. And so these little, these items, the loot bags, they're basically these pieces that you can trust that they're going to have yeah, these components. They're going to follow these certain rules by this standard, this NFT standard, and now you can build tools around it. And so, yeah, I just thought it was really interesting in terms of how quickly it grew and the fact that how counterintuitive it was. And also the fact that instead of being a top-down project where they told what the rules are, how things should work, it was much more bottoms up in the community. They ended up deciding to create their own games around it and it's really unlike anything I've ever seen before. Totally. For people who maybe are like still a little confused about like, why would someone buy an NFT that is like a list of fantasy game items? Like what's kind of, are the people who are buying them thinking this is a really great speculation opportunity because this is a person with strong ties to the community. I think a lot of people are getting into this. If I buy it now, it'll be worth a lot in the future and maybe I'll sell it. Or are they thinking about it like, hey, like there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff built on this, like different games and different things where I will be able to use my loot to like have more fun in a game or be able to be able to join some community. Or like, is there something else that I'm not even imagining? Like what's kind of like in a way that, um, you know, like my dad could understand, <laughs> like, like what's the sort of like motivation for someone who's buying, you know, in, in eight ETH is like the floor now, right? Or something like that, like, which is, tens of thousands of dollars. <laughs> like what, why would someone spend tens of thousands of dollars on this? I'm going to play the role of incredulous, uh, know nothing journalist basically right now. <laughs> like why would yeah, people do this crazy yeah. thing? Yeah, no, it's funny because I empathize with that view for the first three days. I felt that exact same way. I was like, what, what is the purpose of this? And so I started digging in. I think there's short term and more longer term reasoning. And so short term, one big one is membership. And so by holding a loot bag, people created these guilds based off of some some of the text. And there are some that are more rare, less rare, depending on the probability that it would be included in the NFT. And so there's Divine Robes and Katana. Those are the two that are seem to have the most popular communities and just the most passionate communities. And so being part of holding one of those loot bags that have a Divine Robe or Katana in them 
grants you access into the guild, which is like a mini DAO, which is like a Discord server, but also just a really passionate community of builders that are interested in gaming, culture, crypto, etc. And so really it's just like a pass to be able to get access to that Discord server and be involved in the conversations. So I think that's one big one in the near term. And then also I think something interesting that Loot did was they turned NFTs into productive assets. And so one of the main issues with NFTs these days is that they're very illiquid and there's no way to generate passive income or utility through them. And so a lot of times people buy these one-of-one NFTs or they buy, say, a CryptoPunk or Bored Ape. And the utility is you can put it as your profile picture and maybe you get future airdrops, but there's not really a way to generate income. A lot of people talk about licensing and royalties, but we still haven't really seen a great use case for that. But the interesting thing about loot is that by holding a loot bag over the next over the first like, seven days, there were probably, I don't even know at this point, like 20 or 30 derivative projects where they say, if you, you can mint one of these new NFTs based off of how many loot bags you hold already. And so by holding a loot bag, you get access to all these new products, all these new NFTs, all these new membership communities that are being spun up around it. And so when I was holding, it was just like, there's one in particular called the AGLD or Adventure Gold Token Airdrop. And so with that token, it basically said, so someone launched it and they said, okay, if you hold, for every loot bag you hold, you get 10,000 of these Adventure Gold tokens. And they weren't opinionated about how it was going to be used. They said, hey, maybe it's a government token. Maybe you just hold it and then trade it at some point. Maybe you get access to a Discord, but I'm just going to create the token and then see what the community does. And then within, I believe it was the first 24 hours, those 10,000 tokens were worth at least around like $60,000. And so anybody that held a loot bag could cash in those, either cash in the tokens for $60,000 or they could hold on to them for like potential like price appreciation or to have influence within like some potential DAO that would be using these tokens as a governance mechanism. And so I think that's one of the really interesting aspects, just turning NFTs into a productive asset that can either earn income, get you access to certain communities or yeah, get access to certain NFT projects based off of what you're holding. And then long-term, I think it's yeah, a combination of those things where the potential of the community increases, or maybe there's media that's created and you get early access to it, or maybe there's an actual game on like a console, PC, or mobile game that's created, and you get certain access or discounts. Those are more like medium to long-term, but in the near term, I think it's right. membership and, and derivative projects and price appreciation. Totally. And just to follow up on that a little bit, like, the main motivation, I think, I think still like, you know, I'm just trying to channel like the, you know, person who doesn't know anything about this, like, okay, like why would you, okay. Membership and community is great theoretically, but like, you know, people have friends, they have a lot of other places that they could like meet people. Like what's special about this community that they would want to like spend this much money on it. And my guess, and I'm curious to hear if you think I'm right, is, uh, getting in early on a project like loot or being making a big enough bet that you weren't early, but you were willing to put down a lot of money to like be in signals. Uh, it, it is like a costly signal. And uh, once you have that and you're a part of that community, you're in the network of people building this kind of stuff. And so the next loot that comes out, maybe you're in a discord that finds out about it early and you can just mint it yourself and therefore get in at like a super low price. Maybe someone who's building the next thing, you can like work on it with them potentially, or um, basically it's status within a community of people who are building and defining what 
um, a lot of people within the sort of Web3, NFT, DAO, DeFi world think like the world is going to be running on these rails. It's not currently, but it's going to be. And the people that are building it are here. And it seems dumb to like spend a lot of money on like an NFT of like a loot or or a board ape, you know, for like your avatar or whatever, or a noun. But actually what that's doing is getting you within the community of people who are who are building the future. And so there's lots of different ways in which that may be valuable. Um, but is that kind of right? Why it feels like there's such high urgency that people would be willing to spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on something like this? I think that's exactly right. It's like, kind of feels like Minecraft or Roblox for adults in the sense that you're working together, you're creating this like shared persistent state, you're building things. It's like, it's a combination of like a social hangout place. It's like an intellectual challenge. It's a way to make money. And I think that one, one really interesting thing I also noticed with Loot was that there's a lot of people that were working on other projects that ended up spending 20 hours a week working on Loot instead of building tools for the ecosystem. There, there are people from top projects like Zora, Syndicate DAO, a design agency, Vector DAO. There's people from those teams who said, hey, you know what? It's actually more valuable for my my core project to go and build up this loot ecosystem or even just cause, Hey, this is fun. This is something I want to do. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I want to help the community and yeah, I want to help the community and build tools, use my skill set to build something I think is important and revolutionary potentially. And so I think that yeah, it's a combination of like social, but also work plus yeah, potentially economic benefits. And so I think it's like really interesting seeing people do that and, and the teams, the founders of the teams, allowing them to do that and understanding like the strategic importance of going off and it's kind of like Google's 20% time, but I guess here was like 20 hour time for that week or two weeks. I'm not sure how consistent that'll be over, over time, but it was really interesting to see people just peel off their core project and go and build these things because yeah, I think that's exactly right. They wanted to build the foundational infrastructure. They wanted to yeah, be able to be a part of it, work with people, meet other people that are part of this community. And there's others that'll stay and do it full time, but yeah. I think that that's an interesting aspect of it as well. Nathan, to your point about like, why would people spend this much? Part of it must be status. I, I think it's much more than that um, because there's so many NFT projects that are scarce and that confer status. I, I think there was something very special about loot versus all of those other NFT projects. And in this particular case, I think, I think price is like a really powerful, um, like you plant a flag by spending a lot of money on a piece of loot. It, it's almost like predictive of the future value of the loot itself, because when people are driving up the floor prices of these NFTs and deciding that like divine robes are worth a lot or, or loot with katanas are worth a lot, it's almost like a promise to the future of the ecosystem that like they are going to build and contribute to something that does give divine ropes and katana a lot more value. Um, if that makes sense at all, like they're sort of inverting the direction of um, like product development and funding something upfront because they're sort of making the commitment that they're going to support the development of projects and stories and games on top that are going to actually end up conferring value to these items. Totally. One thing that I'm curious about is like with loot, the way it works is if I, if I do spend the sort of like nine ETH or tens of thousands of dollars or whatever, it just goes to the person who pre who sold it to me, right? Like 
or does is there like a central treasury with like a DAO or something like the way that Nouns DAO has, where when you buy the NFT, it goes to a pool that can be used for the collective purpose of perpetuating the and 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 growing the like loot world. Yeah, it's a good question. So it depends on which NFT marketplace or like what mechanism you use to transfer the NFT. Most volume is happening on OpenSea. And in that case, OpenSea takes a percentage and then the person that is selling the NFT, they take a percentage as well. But I've actually seen quite a few auction marketplaces where yeah, they basically say, hey, a percentage is going to go to this multi-sig or this contract on chain that is going to be our divine robes DAO. And that's basically going to bootstrap our treasury to allow us to invest in improving the quality of the loot community, but also the divine robes itself. And so I've seen some, so if you go to this auction hunt, so then they basically incentivize holders to say, hey, list your NFTs on this marketplace, as opposed to say OpenSea or some other marketplace that doesn't have this built-in mechanism for allowing you to direct percentage of the funds to this treasury so that was interesting as well where it, with the composability the nft is just an erc 721 contract on the ethereum blockchain and it's a standard similar to html for web pages and it says you must conform to these inputs and outputs and functions etc and as long as you do that you're this type of token and because of that standardization and composability then you can build your own marketplaces and add this new functionality to say okay hey we actually want a percentage of this sale to go here to our on-chain bank account, so to speak, and to be able to, yeah, to build a, a more sustainable organization. Gotcha. Cool. So like basically people are kind of recreating in a less centralized way, the approach within loot that nouns DAO has taken, which we should also talk about, but basically like of having when, when someone buys in and spends a lot of money to, to be in on loot, um, some of that money go to a place that is more, community controlled but there's different sub communities like the katana community or the yeah other ones none of it was like preordained or designed ahead of time it's it's all been entirely bottoms up and decided by the community um and i yeah i tweeted about this yesterday but it really is like the complete opposite of everything that i've seen in the last few years in consumer software development where like they, they just flipped the whole model on its head of, um, you know, starting invite only instead it was open to everyone. Um, instead of starting with like a killer product and getting traction off that killer product, there was no product at all. It started with a community who will then build the killer product, hopefully. Um, and instead of like building a tool that has utility from day one and then um, having the come for the tool, stay for the network approach, it started without a tool, it started with the network and the network will build the tools. And um, it, it strikes me as like the extreme version of kind of like what communities and, and DAOs are aiming to do. And it actually is reminiscent a lot of some of the crowd funds that I've seen launch on Mirror where they're raising for a creative project or a publication or um, some new incubation program or whatever. And the idea is that it's not fully fleshed out that the people who fund the crowdfund are going to have some ownership and say in how the actual project comes to fruition. But but Loot took it to the extreme of like, there's, there's not even an idea of what it could become. And so like, I'm curious, Patrick, um, having seen how 
loot has unfolded over the past 10 days. Um, like how does that, how has that trickled into how you guys are thinking about supporting DAOs at Mirror? Um, or like, what are some of the lessons for how communities arise and sort of um, gather momentum behind something? Yeah, there's a few approaches. There's the one more traditional classic startup approach where, okay, we're going to have different rounds of funding. We're not going to get any more than we really need to stay scrappy. Or maybe if it's a capital intensive business, we'll raise quite a bit, but still have checks and balances and have multiple funding rounds and then progressively hire more people. And so that's one approach. And then the second is, okay, now, yeah, basically raise more money than you necessarily think you need or enough to, in case there's a bear market, you have it there. And then yeah, not have this top-down approach, et cetera. And I think that, frankly, I think that loot, not sure what, I think it's still so early, I'm not sure what are like, the common patterns that can be applied to like, generalize that type of like go-to-market. And so I'd be interested to see what works, what does. I think with loot, it had the advantage of being a first mover. It was novel. It's exciting. They had what Dennis, the CEO of Mirrors, calls, they had like a, a founding yeah, like a, a founding influencer, like someone who is, people could go to and say, okay, he has the credibility, he or she has credibility within the industry, they know what they're doing. And so having that as well, I think is very important. I think you know, with Loot specifically, they have this gamer community as well, that's just very interested in you know, just more like experimental ideas, even if it wasn't going to yield any sort of economic benefit. And so I think, yeah, try to think of what are like the common prints. I think those are some of the common principles. And I do think that there's still a place for checks and balances, not raising too much money, having some sort of, especially like within your community and saying, okay, maybe you, maybe you put the funds in escrow, you raise $10 million, but you put them in escrow and then you progressively, you give out to you know, 500,000 or however much you need to pay salaries, to fund working capital growth, et cetera. And so yeah, for us, I mean, we're thinking a lot about, we see that, Really, the, a lot of people are talking about creators, creator economy, but I think that in crypto, like the killer feature is coordination between creators and creating these cooperatives, collectives, DAOs, et cetera. And so thinking of ways yeah, to support them in that journey in terms of, okay, we want to provide, we want to be less opinionated on how they use the tools, but we want to provide the tools such as crowdfunding for issuing a token and having a way of making decisions. We want tools for governance for people to make decisions. We want tools for on-chain cash flow through NFTs, through auctions. We want a way to help you onboard members to your community. But we want to be less opinionated on the exact like architecture that you're working with and or the creative input, et cetera. And of course we'll provide feedback and best practices, et cetera. But I think it's still super early and depends on yeah, a lot of the goals. But definitely think more projects are going to take this decentralized bottoms up approach. Yeah, I agree. I do think like, yeah, there was there was something very magical about loot that I don't know if everyone can pull off or like everything launched in the manner in which it launched would have been as equally successful. I think there were some very specific attributes about loot that like that captured people's imagination. And, and part of it is the founder. Part of it was the actual like probably just like it, it reminded people of like games they used to play growing up, like the initial people who minted loot were um, very tech savvy, lots of developers who were in a position to be able to build on top and garner a lot of excitement and momentum that way. 
And so I, I agree with you that I think that approach is it opens up a new playbook that people can explore. I don't think it will always be successful 100% of the time as it was. But I think there will still be the other approach to product development, which is to, to start small, to have a vision from the get go and to see it blossom from there and, and try to get more traction um, with something that is more clearly defined and delineated from day one. Yeah. One thing that I'm, I'm curious to hear if y'all think this is right, but Lee, you mentioned how there was not like a gated sort of invite only thing. Anyone could mint it, but you had to have the time and skills to mint. Yeah. And so it did sort of gate it. It wasn't a gate that was closed to anyone, but it was like an obstacle course that theoretically anyone can do, but you, there's a lot of knowledge and skills you have to have mm-hmm. and kind of like taste you have to have to decide that it's worth it. And yeah. so there's a little bit of like proof of what kind of person you are in actually Correct. being one of the people who minted it. And for a certain type of person, it's pretty easy, right? But like, for me, it would be very hard. <laughs> I would have yeah, to spend no, a while it, like, it reading It definitely self-selected the initial community. Like the initial community was very, very particular based on how it came to fruition. Right. But the thing that I think is interesting about that is that it's kind of like... um it's kind of like this treat of like, hey, uh, here's this obstacle course that certain of you have the skills to run pretty easily. And so you can, and like, just because this is kind of fun, you might do it. And so people do it and then they tweet about it. And the kind of people who do it and tweet about it, that tends to get attention from a lot of other people, yeah. right? And so it's kind of like almost, uh, how do you make signing up for your product proof of being kind of cool and having good taste, right? Right. <laughs> Uh, is like one one way to think about it. If you just put up a form where people, people can type in their email address, it doesn't prove anything, right? Um, why would I tweet that? And I don't really get anything. It's not it's not scarce. Whereas if there's only 8,000 signups and you have to run this kind of fun little small obstacle course that's easy for a certain kind of person, then yeah, and it's just like a fun thing that I claimed and it doesn't have any like world-changing pretensions at first, then it's kind of like, oh yeah, I'll tweet about this. This is cool. This is just fun, you know? Right. And they made that action of the initial mint sort of correspond to probably the attributes and the knowledge of who would be like value additive initial community members. Like you had to know how to interact with Etherscan and you had to be sort of in the Twitter sphere of Dom. And so that that is a very particular profile of person and that person probably is in a position to be able to help contribute from the get go. Um, but I will say like, I, I think what I mean by the fact that it was kind of open to everyone is it definitely is a step in the right direction of like offering anyone the ability to invest from the get go versus say a lot of like other invite only products that we've been a part of in Silicon Valley, where we, we did find out, out about them early. We were the early users and yet most of those users did not get to invest or own anything um, or share in its success because, you know, they weren't privy to the fundraise. So in that manner, like this, this project was a lot more democratized, I think. Yeah. Okay. I want to switch gears and talk about not just loot. (laughs) I want to talk about mirror and the creator economy um, and all of that good stuff that we love to address on this podcast. Um, Specifically, 
I was rereading some of your old blog posts, which are all excellent, p.mira.xyz. People should check it out. Um, and specifically, there is a blog post that you had published, um, I think a couple, a few months ago, called um, Come for the Creator, Stay for the Economy. And it basically outlines this three-step process um, of how you believe um, crypto and the creator economy are increasingly going to intersect. And it basically entails first like creators earning money through crypto native products, um, for instance, by selling NFTs or by launching social tokens. Then secondly, transitioning into org mode, helping creators build sustainable crypto native businesses. And then lastly, um, transitioning to a protocol economy um, which is is really interesting and i'm curious how you think that ends up happening but yeah like where are we today in terms of this kind of like three-step roadmap for the convergence of creators and crypto and like what is needed for it to progress even further do you think yeah so i can frame it in the context of mirror and our journey how we thought about things and so mirrored that we've seen is in three phases. And so phase one started around like last November, last December. And in that phase, it was basically, the idea was, okay, we're going to find a creator or a community that has a creative project they want to work on. We're going to build tools specifically for them to run their experiment. And we're going to do it in a pretty quick MVP way. Make sure, don't compromise on the contracts, of course, make sure it's secure, et cetera. But in terms of like the UI, the, the interface, it ship it quickly, get it out there, test the experiment, and then from there, regroup, reflect on it, and then understand, okay, how do we turn this into a product? Do we want to? If so, you know, how do we take it from this stage to something that many people can use? And so we did that. We basically took that approach for our six or seven different products. That's the crowdfunding. That's the onboarding game, right race. Those are NFT auctions, NFT additions, revenue splits. And so the first, say, six, seven months, was spinning up these different smart contracts, building a UI for them, for people to use them, going to market with a very specific project or multiple projects that wanted to use them, and then allowing them to, to launch and making sure those were successful, iterating, and then moving on to the next suite of tools. And so now so that first phase is more around exploration, understanding like what emergent use cases come up and learning from actually shipping these full stack products. And so phase two, we're thinking a lot about now is you know, one one thing in phase one that we wanted to do was create a more unified protocol where basically we weren't taking any fees, but we would love to be able to start bootstrapping a treasury and then using that to fund projects within the community. And so in phase two, we view it more as this like DAO mode and having this unified crypto protocol where all the contracts are taking some nominal fee, like two and a half percent or whatever ends up yeah, being fair. And yeah, we think that'd be... Yeah, like around two and a half percent. And then from there, anytime there's economic activity going through the mirror smart contracts, we would basically send that send those funds to the treasury and then potentially reward the contributors with the governance token. And then that'll end up creating more of this economy, this mirror economy where okay, there's economic activity. The economic activity is being taxed. And I like the way that Lee's put it before, like taxes having taxation with representation. And so ideally that representation is done by yourself by receiving these governance tokens. And so now you, you're able to decide on, okay, how are the funds used? How is the protocol upgraded? What, yeah, 
how is the protocol evolve over time, what new contracts should be shipped, et cetera. And so the second phase is like this mere economy phase where you have this treasury rewarding the contributors. And so that's kind of what we're embarking on now. And then in this third phase, that's when we believe that other projects would be integrated with the mirror economy. And so from there, it's basically, you have this shared backend layer, which are these contracts for crowdfunding, for NFT auctions, for revenue splits, other contracts as well. And then there's other teams. We've already talked to quite a few teams where they're really strong, like Web2 teams that worked with you know, top companies, Instagrams, Snap, Uber, et cetera. And they they don't necessarily want to spend a few months writing smart contracts, getting audits, hiring a team and doing that. And so we think that we can provide the protocol layer as a service and kind of be like, kind of like make it feel like an API. But then the difference is, okay, is this API that it's open source, you can trust that it won't change. And then also by sending funds through this API, you get rewarded with underlying token for that protocol. And so we think that eventually, if the mirror economy is successful, then the mirror app, mirror.xyz, is only a, a fraction of all economic activity going through that economy. And then eventually the core team is just another input into this economy. And, and we're making decisions alongside the community and upgrading it. And so maybe those are the three different phases. One is more this experimental phase, building different tools. Two is unifying this into this treasury and then starting to build this economy with our front end and just focusing on that. And then phase three is opening this up to other third-party teams to build and integrate and then having this more, you know, just having our app be one input into this entire economy. Yeah, I think that's so smart because I, at least for every, I'm so curious about are there things we can do to, because you know it wasn't in the original vision of the company to like be on crypto rails, but a lot of the principles that drove the way we shaped what we do um, are exactly aligned with, with sort of, you know, empowering users and creators with more, with more of the upside, more of the control over, over how things work, more ownership. And, um, but it feels really scary to like create something from scratch that is in, you know, we already have like a thing. We don't want to like risk it kind of in some ways. And, um, all the tools that I've looked at are like, way too simple and high level. Like I want a lower level building block. That's like a tool that we can integrate into our system. Cause we have a platform that we built. Like we, we write code, you know what I mean? Like we're not like, I'm not looking for some like CMS that is like a small little thing. Like I want an actual tool and like a protocol that I can like build into. Um, and, and so I think that, that that sort of like third part of the vision is, is really exciting and it makes sense why it, it's hard to start there. It wouldn't, wouldn't make sense to start there, but it's really exciting, uh, for us, for sure. I can just say. Yeah. Yeah. Ideally, I think the most bullish case is, yeah, these crypto protocols are just abstracted with APIs and it's as simple as importing a library like you would with Stripe, getting API keys using that, but instead of an API key, maybe it's an Ethereum private key, that stuff's gonna get easier, but it's really just a, a library you import into your code. And then from there you can yeah, build whatever you want from it. And of course there's, it's gonna be a lot of like yeah, implementation details that need to get figured out. And, but I think that's, that's like the promise and like the grand vision eventually that I think would, would be amazing. Yeah, we've spoken a little bit about this before Patrick, which is that I think today um, a lot of creators are exploring new crypto native um, ways to monetize and to organize their communities and garner the energy of their fans. But 
today there's still a reliance on Web2 platforms, um, specifically the social platforms that serve as kind of the town squares where everyone is gathering and discovering each other and finding people to follow in the first place. Um, like this is even true of crypto, crypto Twitter. Like Twitter is layer zero that underpins everything and everything sort of clears itself and garners like um, social momentum on Twitter first and foremost. How do you think we can reduce our dependency over time on those Web2 platforms? Like what does the the crypto native version of discovery look like? Yeah. Yeah, that's something I'm really interested in. And I think that's going to be, there's this really good post by Chris Dixit a few months ago. And, you know, it was talking about NFTs and kind of the monetization properties of NFTs. And you say that yeah, there's like two core things that a crypto startup could focus on to be able to, yeah, to basically have a competitive advantage against Web2 or social media platforms. And so one is distribution, competing with them on helping creators get more distribution. And then two is on monetization. And I think at least for the foreseeable future, monetization is going to be the, the focus because yeah, with NFTs, you can offer these digital items at different price points. You can program the NFT with royalties and it just, it opens up a much wider design space for monetization. And I think that the main barrier for distribution right now is just it's really hard to onboard and so until there's easier ways for managing wallets for on-ramping with ETH etc I think it's going to be a little tough but yeah I think that in terms of what it could look like eventually so right now with Web2 and Discovery it's basically an algorithmic feed you ingest all this data people posting content content, people liking, following, sharing, subscribing, et cetera, and just all this content and you build a model, a predictive model, and you recommend content to keep people engaged or you surface new people that they could follow. And so, but all this is just algorithmically generated through code that lives on this company servers. But I think in Web2 or Web3, a native crypto native version would be, okay, you do this through a token instead of ingesting this private data and this group of product managers, engineers deciding like how to tune the algorithm. Maybe this week we're going to focus on pages. This week we're going to focus on creators. This week we're going to focus on brands, et cetera. Instead, you use some sort of more decentralized mechanism with a token. And this is known as token curated registries. And so you basically allow people to, I think one clear example could be, okay, say that you have a Spotify playlist and you say, okay, people can, Everybody that has listened to this playlist in the past, say Rap Caviar, that's one of my favorite Spotify playlists. Everyone that's listened to it for a certain number of hours gets 10,000 Rap Caviar tokens. And then each week, you basically get to use your tokens to vote on your favorite songs that week. And then that generates the playlist. And you end up doing that for all sorts of different playlists. And you allow people that are listening to the content to decide to vote with this scarce resource. And then if you want to get really crazy, you could also share, you could create what's called a prediction market where by voting, you're basically predicting on what's going to be the highest ranked songs at the end of the week. And so you can basically say, okay, we're going to take a percentage of streaming revenue, put it into this pool, and then whoever votes for the top high, whoever has the best predictions or picks whatever's going to be at the top, whoever's the best curators for 
engaging our community, they get a percentage of the streaming revenue. And so you create this new way of incentivizing the curators, a new decentralized way of surfacing content. And now you can end up, I could see once the tools are easier, you can end up optimizing for different things. Maybe you want to optimize your Twitter feed for engagement. Maybe you want to optimize for learning, for insight. Maybe you want to optimize for a specific category. And so now these communities can decide what they want to optimize for. What is the metric they want to increase? What, yeah, what exactly is the purpose of this specific curated playlist or this curated registry of content and also gives a way to reward different curators. And so that's what I see as the more like crypto native version. I think it's going to take time for the tooling. It's going to take time for the onboarding to get better, but ideally I think that's, that's something that I'm really interested in. I'm curious if you think like, why would, why would a DAO choose a mechanism like a prediction market versus just a vote? Like, what's the advantage of that? Because to me, if you're asking me to predict what I think will win, like the vote base, I guess, do you have to have both where it's like, there's a vote and then a prediction market on what the winners of the vote will be? Or do you just like, is it like a, you just predict what will be on the playlist and the results of the predictions are, because basically it's like a Keynesian beauty contest where you're saying like, vote on what you think will get the most votes. So it's like this reflexive thing. So I'm not revealing anything about my preferences. I'm revealing my beliefs about other people's preferences, you know? And like, is that going to make Rap Caviar have the best songs if everyone's just voting on what they think everyone else will vote for, you know? Yeah, these are really good questions. And the short answer is that there's no clear model. And I think the thing I really like about crypto is that you're able to, it's very experimental. And a lot of this stuff, when yeah, whether it's you vote and then you do a prediction market or you couple them together and do both with, one vote, that's all just a smart contract. And so basically you could run an A-B test or an experiment with different communities, ship two different smart contracts, test, see which one works, and then deploy the one that you think is more advantageous or whatever is solving the goal you want it to solve. And so, yeah, yeah I think frankly it's really early. And yeah, I think with the prediction market, the benefit is you have an economic incentive. And so now, okay, if you if you choose correctly, then you get rewarded. And so... Yeah, I think that it really depends, but I think the the core idea that makes me most interested is that instead of these being these these kind of this logic that is stored in a server somewhere controlled by just a very small group of people and a very small subset of the entire community, now this is controlled. These are just smart contracts on the Ethereum network that anybody can deploy, anybody can integrate within their apps. And so I think that's just going to emergently we're going to find out the best models and best models, probably something that nobody's ever thought of. And so I think that's really the most important part. Yeah. I think it doesn't actually need to look all that different from the way that discovery is done today with these algorithmic feeds, but perhaps the next step forward is to just enable users to decide like which algorithm they want to leverage in their mm. own in, in their own feeds. Like they could select between them, they could fine tune different properties of them, they could filter, you know, they they want only things that have been like fact checked by certain organizations or whatever. Um, things like that. And and I think giving users more options and clarity into how this information was, you know, arrived at to be surfaced to them. I feel like that would be a move in the right direction. 100%. Yeah, like creating a marketplace for on the supply side are these engineers or technical teams that are deploying these algorithms and then demand side are consumers, curators, et cetera, and just creating these marketplaces for discovery algorithms. 
Exactly. Exactly. Um, I want to end this conversation with a provocative statement that you had put out on Twitter recently, which you actually also alluded to earlier, which is that you said, quote, nouns DAO is the most interesting project in crypto right now, and it's not even close. <laughs> Can you tell us more about um, maybe high level, like what it is quickly, but also why is it the most interesting project in crypto right now, especially since you're working on another one? so yeah that's funny but yeah so i will say that tweet basically loot pilled me as i say in crypto (laughs) start becoming obsessed in something you get pilled so you no longer believe that (laughs) i think both are are very interesting we'll see the thing with nouns out it's been going pretty strong for the last like month and a half but so nouns out for those i don't know basically this experiment where it's quite simple actually, where every day forever, there's a smart contract where in the contract, the code says every day till eternity or until we call this function on the contract deposit, we're gonna auction off this NFT called a noun. And this noun is basically this like cute little NFT pixelated and it's generative. And so depending on when the auction is created, it creates this randomized, looking noun and it has like different attributes. Like sometimes there's like a car as the head and then other times as the nose, it's like an animal. And so like these cute little like different attributes that you have. And so these nouns actually look pretty cute. But the interesting part is that there's a 24 hour auction. And then when somebody buys the noun, the funds go to the nouns Dow treasury, which is just a contract that lives on Ethereum and it's controlled by like a few of the early founders through this thing called a multi-sig wallet. So not one person can do it. They need to, multiple people need to sign to approve and authorize funds moving out or moving, yeah, moving out from that contract. And so from there, so basically what it's doing is every day it's bootstrapping this treasury with the sale of this noun. And the reason why it's interesting is because the core team, there's 10 people called nounders that were basically given, yeah, they get, they're given one out of every 10 of these nouns and they're very well known within the community. And people wanted to be a part of this early community and wanted to, yeah, basically own this noun, which not only you get to hold it and it looks nice, but also you get governance rights over how the treasury is used. And so when there's 10 people that own nouns, then if you if they're all just 10 separate people, then each person has one vote. And then you could buy multiple nouns. And so maybe if you wanted two out of 10, you get two out of 10. But every day there's a new noun. So there's basically this constant inflation where one noun is being minted every day and it's auctioned off. It's pretty interesting because the first one was bought for like 600. It was like yeah, some ridiculous amount, like 660 ETH, something like that. And then it went down to like 60 ETH and then like 30 ETH. But then immediately people saw just like the energy around the community and the excitement on the project. And like, oh my gosh, there's like, in this treasury. What should we do with this? And then people started coming up with ideas. And then the average, the clearing price ended up going to like 500,000 like each day. And so it went up as more people got involved with the community, more people were sharing it on Twitter, more excitement was generated around, okay, what projects can be built? And so I view it as kind of as like, now it's like this IP and it's kind of like Mickey Mouse is like a, it's like a Mickey, Goofy, et cetera. And then the community decides and they've, they're coming up with different projects like, okay, we're going to do a derivative project where we mash up nouns with this other project, or we're going to give you like this noun plus like a nice costume, and then you're going to get that. And also we want to create like a nouns focused 
book or a novel and to write about it or, or like a short film or short TV show about nouns and just really just have fun and yeah, and try and potentially increase the value of the underlying IP. But really, frankly, I think it's more just a social experiment and people want to be part of this community. They want to show, hey, I care about enough to spend a few hundred thousand dollars to be part of the community. I want to have a say over the treasury. I want to be part of the social experiment. And so that's why I think it's just very interesting. Similar to loot, it kind of turns the unconventional wisdom. It's like, what? You're going to raise basically a pre-seed round or a seed round every single day, like a few hundred thousand dollars from a separate yeah. person. And then this treasury is not controlled by one person or one team. It's controlled by the people that put money into this round. And there's no like clear top-down roadmap. It's basically just decided on by people. And so I just think that that pattern, which was similar in loot, is just very, very interesting. Have they done anything with the money yet? Yeah, so they have a couple of governance proposals that have passed. The first one was donating money to charity. And so there was five oh, charities. That's good. Yeah, yeah. This is pretty powerful. I, I feel like on a large scale, this could become the basis of UBI. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> I just went there. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, like if you're raising a significant, like let's say this gets really significant, you're raising a significant amount of capital every single day and it's constantly inflationary and you're minting off a new piece every day. Like that's a really powerful potential um, basis for redistribution on a societal level. And, and like presumably people could vote to use that treasury to fund, I don't know, UBI or some other social programs. I mean, it, it is kind of like how we do taxation in this country. Like it all goes into one giant pool of funds and then like a small group of people are deciding what to do with that. But like this is a more community driven approach to that yeah yeah i could see there's people that i don't know if y'all remember hq trivia where every yeah. day at a certain time people would go on they'd mm-hmm. open up the app and then they'd answer the question so they wanted to do something called nouns o'clock which is very similar and so they yeah. wanted to say okay every day whenever the auction is about to end last 15 minutes get a notification and then open up this app and so but the way that they're going to fund this is by taking money from the treasury and funding a team to work on this so I think that the first version of UBI is probably going to be, it's not very universal, but it'll be basic income for people to build products like within the nouns ecosystem. And so I think probably in the short to near term, they'll be funding people to go full time to build projects that integrate with the nouns ecosystem. And then ideally over time, as they build up the treasury, then they can start experimenting with, yeah, with more of these like generalized like social programs, universal programs. And so I think that's like one interesting example of allowing people, funding people to work full time on this ecosystem. Hmm. Fascinating. Who do you think has a competitive advantage? Because they have very different structures. Nouns, which is more centralized, or a loot, which is like it's these it's these like little things floating out of the world and people are spontaneously forming all sorts of different, less coordinated things, but it's maybe a little bit more anti-fragile because there's not just one central pool. Like the origin of the term DAO comes from the original DAO, which was like 16% of all Ethereum or something like that. And then someone stole it. And then that's why we have Ethereum classic, which is like the fork of Ethereum where the person who stole it still has money. And then the like main fork that we all now live on is like without that person stealing it, like with this much money tied up in a smart contract, basically like, is it more fragile in some sense? Yeah. I think it's interesting. Yeah. Does more centralized, relatively centralized or decentralized approach win? I think it's similar to like iOS versus Android. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's not really a one right answer. There's trade-offs and benefits for each. I think with the iOS approach, if you have a really strong 
leader core team they have a very clear vision of what they want to execute on then i think that that could definitely work and be wildly successful but then also if you yeah, have this core team or you have a community of people that are very interested self-motivated they just really care about the product they really care about the ecosystem they do it for fun and yeah i think that that works as well and so i think that yeah, there's there's a trade-off, but I view them similar to like open source versus closed source software mm. in many ways. But the main difference is now there's a token for the communities to to capture value that they're creating. Fascinating. Patrick, it was a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Um, wove our way through lots of different fascinating topics. We'll have to get you back sometime, but thanks so much for joining us today. Awesome. This is the first podcast that I'm a regular listener listener to that I've been on. And so thank you for We're gracing me with that. Yeah. yeah no, it's, it's been awesome. It's been really great. Thank you. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining. We'll talk to you again soon. See ya.